I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, leavers and believers. Welcome to Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya and you have arrived right at the right moment. If you have an interest in true crime, if you have any kind of interest in celebrities and if you like that as a sport, you've come to the right place. Today we're going to discuss the closing arguments in the trial of Brian Charles Houston. Now I will explain this in the pod uh, in more detail. Jake from The Framework is joining me on this. We both attended both days of the end of this trial. Uh, They had run out of time when um, when the trial concluded in December at Christmas. So they had to put aside two days for closing arguments and yeah, but we were there. Now, it is a bit of a complex case. We're trying to explain it uh, as best as we understand it, as best as possible. Uh, Please though, if you have any questions, jot them down and send them in. It's a fascinating case. It just takes a little bit to explain it and It's worth knowing. While I was editing, though, I did notice there's a few extra names there that, you know, people might not be familiar with. In particular, please pay attention to this most fascinating character of Pastor Barbara Taylor, who I think she must be about 90 years old now. And the story goes that Barbara Taylor was the first person to find out about Brett Sengstock's sexual abuse at the hands of former pastor Frank Houston, the father of Brian Houston. Barbara Taylor wrote letters, she kept notes, and she was the one who persistently tried to get an outcome for Brett Sengstock. It had been her church that an evangelist called Kevin Mad Dog Mumford, he had spoken at that and for some reason, Brett's mother decided this was the moment she was going to reveal her son's story and she did so to Barbara Taylor, who then went to 
incredible lengths to try and to try and get a meeting with a Houston, any Houston. And yeah, you'll hear more about that in the pod. If you don't know Jake Elliott from the framework, please check that out. Uh, he's a diligent, devoted type and he's the one with all the details. I'm the one looking around the courtroom going like, am I really here with these people? I mean, Brian's sister Beverly was there, right? And she was in the Lunar Park train fire, like on the ghost train, like the OG one. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't say that to Beverly. And so Jake took notes. We are going to do a back to basics as soon as possible with our American consultant. So don't worry if all of this doesn't make sense, but uh, we did just want to give you a bit of an update before the verdict is delivered on August 17th. So get your snacks. Kick back and settle into the closing arguments. Hey, Jake. Hi, Daniel. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Very well. I think I've recovered from the trial now. Yourself? Oh, it's like a psychological beating or something, being in that courtroom. Yeah, it took a while. To, yeah. <laughs> Process. Sort of recover is mm. the right word. You're right. I mean, thank you very much for agreeing to join me once again. We we both attended both days of closing arguments, and that took place on the fifteenth and sixteenth of June of this year, twenty twenty three. So, the trial for Brian Houston had taken place in December of 22 brian has been charged with one count of concealing a serious offense that being the child sexual abuse i believe it's just the one incident yeah it's just the one incident Mm -hmm. against one victim uh that was perpetrated by his father frank houston and the case went for nearly three weeks through December till just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And they ran out of time and they needed closing arguments. So they allocated two more days and there seemed to be no room on the calendar for another six months. So that's been the, you know, that's been the time lag. You know, yeah, there's been a, a huge backlog from COVID in the courts, as well as finding a time for everybody to schedule in. So that's how that cookie crumbles. And I'm trying to think if we left anything out of that actual charge. It's difficult to sum it up, which I guess is what the closing arguments are for. Hey, so do you want to pick off with, with what you got, Jake? I mean... There's basically two days we want to cover whatever you got, whatever you want to start with. I don't know. It was the prosecution was up first. His name is. He's another Gareth. There's two Gareth in the courtroom. The judge is called Gareth and the prosecution is called Gareth Harrison. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, he speaks with quite a strong Scottish accent. It uh, adds to the kind of... Oh, yeah, you're a little bit young, but there was a show called Cracker, and it was Cracker, and he was a um, forensic psychologist, and he was, ah, it was fantastic. It was terrifying. Anyway, this guy's not quite Cracker, but hmm. it adds to, I reckon it adds to the. And we had the defence, Mr. Bolton, Mr. Philip Bolton. Mm, we did. The best friend. Yeah. <laughs> So, again, to run over for people outside of the Westminster system that we have here, I mean, it's a local court matter, so it's, you know, people don't usually have, necessarily have such high levels of representation, but it's a serious crime in a local court. So both of those men is an embarrassment. Nobody was wearing um, wigs. They don't have to in the in the local court so there was none of that but yeah i mean uh, bolton's he's you know he used to be 
he used to be president of New South Wales Bar Association or something like that. Like he's just got all these senior kind of places in the history of the law. He's an old man. He's been around a long time. He, you know, charges a lot of money. And then there are his instructing solicitors. So there's three of them. The prosecution has help as well. Other solicitors. He's got a team there and very old school. What do yes. you reckon? Yeah. Yep. Nothing to say at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, the, the prosecution kind of summed their case up. I We were talking before and I said, Do you know what I mean? There was such a different method applied by each side. The mm -hmm. prosecutor, the prosecutor's very like organized and kind of this, 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 and this. Um, therefore, this. And the defense is like much more emotive, I felt, tr and tried to pull on that kind of common man's common sense with, you know, moderated emotions like oh people don't think this they don't do that that sort of thing rather than producing the sort of evidence and yeah it was much more work. Mm. yeah i i found bolton in his argument it was it was quite existential and philosophical in his pontification and how you should be understanding the law and understanding the circumstance that brian was facing okay you would agree with I, that or was that oh yeah you? yeah trying to paint sympathetic pictures or, or trying to paint <clears throat> their sort of character portrayals of different people in those closing arguments you know be it john mcmartin who oh. you know at one point he's bringing up his falsehoods and the next minute he's kind of defending him and stuff like that yeah yeah what was interesting with bolton he uh relied heavily on what, what i would almost call tainting the witnesses or people around Brian just by calling um people like Barbara Taylor auntie or Brett Sensock's mother mother Rose okay. he was clearly trying to um almost put he was putting a spin on each character involved because each one had the motive for Brett to not report it to police in some way it was quite bizarre how he was trying to frame the narrative um, in favor of Brian like Brian was an honest man but everyone kind of had the reasons not to be reporting mm. it to police because mm. one of the claims made was is that anyone could have reported it to police so he was putting the onus that robert taylor could have reported it to police not just brian so there's that element but the biggest thing that he was really hitting hard was like it doesn't matter if my client was handed this situation right or wrong after the victim disclosed that he didn't want to go to police brian honored the victim's wishes by not going to the police okay so i'll stop you there and uh we're so wound up in this thing let's take us out a couple steps backwards sure just to refresh everyone so brian has been charged with one count of concealing a serious offense now there are excuses under the legislation for not reporting a serious offence to the police. And there's all kinds of details around uh, whose responsibility it was and, you know, why other people didn't. But, we'll, you know, setting that aside for now, um, there are what's known as reasonable excuses. So one of them is if you are in fear of your life. Another one is if the victim of that offence does not want you to report that to police. And a lot of this case hinges on that, whether or not Brian believed that the victim did not want this, uh, this report, this crime, uh, this disclosure, because after all, it came from his mother to a pastor, Barbara Taylor, that you've mentioned, it didn't come from the victim himself. Brett Stangstock is his name. It didn't come from him initially. It was his mother who told a pastor and then it has gone through this strange you know, web of command and, and back and forth and it 
you know, over this long period of time before it reached Brian. And there's all kinds of debate about that and, you know, how upset he was when he uh, eventually was told and, you know, why he was upset. And anyway, so that's that's what the case is hinging on, this, this reasonable excuse. Now, from everything that had been tendered so far, both in the Royal Commission that took place in 2014 and the evidence there and the evidence in this trial, there still does not seem to be any actual tangible evidence, be that, you know, a, a, a note in the diary or minutes in the meeting or a phone call, it is something uh, that can really establish that, you know, that Brett Sangstock was offered the opportunity to go to the police according to the policies and procedures. Tell me if I'm getting this anywhere right or wrong. According to their policies, which, you know, included when a complainant comes forward, reach out and offer them counselling, offer them the opportunity to go to police, all that kind of stuff, which was just messy overridden basically well it wasn't done systematically as it would appear in the in the policy yes no i mean yes please yes. I, mean, I mean and until this kind of phone call between brett and brian where brian goes do you want counseling kind of thing like that's yeah no yeah he did talk yeah. about counseling in that me. session and brett sent stock pretty much told him to yeah, stick no. it and and, and these, you know, Brett repeatedly requests privacy. He doesn't want his identity out there. Yeah, so there's a lot of that. There's also what did Brian believe? And, I mean, what Brian believes is something that every second journalist asks me. Who knows what Brian actually, who knows what goes on in there? I don't know how you can deal with that. But if Brian believes that the victim did not want to go to the police, so I think there's almost two parts to it, yeah? Mm -hmm. What? How do you prove what the victim wanted and how do you know what Brian believes? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. So that's the look, conundrum, I think, in a nutshell. Can you, what I mean, tell me... Look, uh, uh, do, and that, that's the hard thing to unpack really if you think about it is is that am i am i some am i accurate there i mean tell me if it's i would say that was pretty accurate i think <laughs> you can get away with that uh, <laughs> it is newer legislation in that the the part about it being child abuse offense so under section 316 of the crimes act you know it's a it's an offense to conceal mm. a serious offence, but then the section about the child abuse became more serious when the gravity of that was changed to a more serious offence to conceal child abuse. The police got more powers. Mm -hmm. The offence, the potential sentencing, potential. Well, it's complicated because the, the offence is. The offence is concealing a serious offence. So if you know about a murder next door and you help the guy next door cover it up or whatever, I don't know. It's concealing a serious offence. You didn't you didn't report it to the police. All right. So if you if you know the guy next door committed a murder and he killed his wife, whatever, and you don't report that to police, you're concealing a serious offence. If you're concealing child sexual abuse, they changed the laws at the end of 2018 to make that much more serious and to have jail time of up to five years, five years and seven years if there was a benefit. So if you got a job or a promotion or a trip to Cancun or something like that, maybe cash payments or donations or so funny because I was talking to an American consultant yesterday and she was reminding me that in California, 
just this is just jumping over to the whistleblower documents just for a little bit of a light interjection before we move back. In California, flowers, do you remember that huge gift register for flowers? Yes. Well, marijuana is legal in California and it's referred to as flowers. <laughs> find out what else they're concealing. All right. So... <clears throat> Um, that's why it's some, this is why it's somewhat new testing of legislation. It's the first time that this offence, concealing child sexual abuse offence, has been tried in this way before, before the laws were increased around the child sexual abuse concealment. It was just a, a misdemeanor. It was like bad language or jaywalking or those kinds of things. So... It's a first for the detectives. It's a first for the the big yeah. So it was a big deal from a bunch of angles. Yeah. So you pretty much got a prosecution and defence arguing with what's in front of them from different perspectives. Um. So I would say both have well will say yes. Frank Houston had committed sexual assaults, but then what did Brian do with the knowledge available at that time? regarding Brett approaching him uh, at some point or, or him hearing about Brett not wanting to go to police. What did he do with that information? So the prosecution said the Crown would make the case that Brian Houston did not report it for other reasons apart from the complainant not wanting it reported. Mm. So the primary reason he did not report it, it was to protect his father and the church. So I think that's really important. That's why he's presenting in his closing argument uh, a, a cohesive argument with all these pieces of evidence, audio bites, and actually laying some accusations against the accused himself, saying you're dishonest in the stand with other pieces of evidence, and you're dishonest to the AOG executive board, and you're dishonest to your church, and some of the audio sound bites. And so the defense it was th their job to show beyond reasonable doubt that Sandstock was adamant that he did not want to go to police and could have reported it to police himself. So same events, but just a different narrative. What evidence is available to really bolster that? The defence was also meaning to show without reasonable doubt that many thousands knew, including members of the police, none of whom reported to police. Now, he opened up with that at the beginning of the trial, but he was also making that very clear in his closing argument as well. And what was interesting with the closing argument is that he was, at the end of the day, trying to make Brian Houston look as though he was credible and that he was honest and that everyone had their own motive why they didn't go to the police like barbara taylor because she wanted to actually manage this in-house before going to the police raised a lot of interesting things there so there was discussion around different motivations different reasons yeah. why somebody yeah would do something so brian might want to protect his church at the same time as wanting to protect brett sengstock's mm -hmm. best wishes and you know, two motivations can exist at the same time. Which one's the one that you made the decision on? That, you know, that's quite, that's quite a reasonable point. People obviously do do things for more than one reason. Yep. Is it the reason? Is it an excuse? You know, Tiffany says reasons are just excuses in drag. <laughs> no. Nice. And then they argued about that for a mm -hmm. while. Um, you can see how law gets complicated and messy real quick um, mm -hmm. and different interpretations. Yep. So mm -hmm. the, both sides were compelling. I would say the prosecution was compelling in a few areas. He made um, references to a sermon and also um, audio at Hillsong Conference in 2002. These two audios were in 2002 where he was pointing out the motivation for Brian Houston was he was there to protect the church because he was actually using that language in some of those audios. Another compelling argument as well was that Brian, he was actually accusing the accused of being dishonest because here he was saying as well that with the meeting between Brett Senstock and my father was just, you know, their thing. I don't want to be involved in it. It wasn't the church. But the prosecution was making the point that he lied to Barbara Taylor because that same meeting that he, he was trying to distance himself from was 
him telling Taylor, well, actually, the victim and Frank Houston and an elder all met to make sure that this was not being covered up and that there was a process being involved that everyone was following. But like I said, that meeting was the meeting where the $10,000 was being given to the victim, which he was like, I've got nothing to do with that. So that's why he was accusing Brian Houston of being dishonest. And just quickly so, on that famous meeting, you know, Brett Sengstock was hassled mm. by Frank until, because Frank was getting old and he knew he wasn't, you know, going to have too much longer in him. So the story goes, he wanted forgiveness. It makes, I mean, a lot of it makes sense, I can, in Assemblies of God madness thinking anyway. So, you know, they're back at McDonald's and Brett is made to sign this napkin as a receipt of this $10,000 that Frank is proffering as this, you know, forgiveness offering thing why the question came up if that were just a gift if that were a love offering why the signature why did he need to sign i wonder where mm. that napkin got the napkin it's got the napkin he's got the malison's document yeah exactly ah do we get to tell the malison story again uh go for it all right so what i want is for you to tell me if i get this wrong <laughs> right because it's so it's so unbelievably if you wrote like a tv series and this was seriously okay i'm listening so when brian originally went to the famous Qantas club meeting 1999 a couple of days before christmas and he called the executive together just ad hoc got keith ainge who gave testimony at his trial was a secretary to just get the meetings, get the boys back together. He went through a series of, you know, statements with the, it's in the minutes. He went through a series of statements. You know, my father has, it's, it's come to my attention that my father is this pedophile. He's done this thing, blah, blah, blah. Frank restoration, look after Frank, pray for Frank. How are we going to take care of Frank? We've gotten some legal advice. Don't worry, it's all taken care of. Step one. Mm, yeah, yes. that's right. And, I mean, you can't help but see this now in retrospect. We jumped to the Royal Commission. He would have never thought much. I mean, you, you know, these are such rudimentary minutes typed up by some, you yeah. know, And obviously the minutes that they wanted to be seen who knows what else goes on in those I, I, which i'm led to believe meetings brian who's met with keith Ainge after to talk about the minutes and stuff like that well, so that found that interesting yes lots of books and minutes and duplications and things seen too 15 years later uh brian's on the stand at the royal commission and the council for for the Royal Commission, Semyon Becker, says, you know, tell us about this lawyer that you went to see to advise you and, and how come they didn't advise you about reporting to the police? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yep. And Brian's a bit, well, you know, me and Nabi went to, we went to Mallison's. It's a, it's a really prestigious law firm here and, yeah, so you, we we saw a lawyer and I, you know, I can't remember his name. I think it was Graham. Yes. That pretty much said the Royal Commission, I, I'm not 100%. The Royal Commission's um, oath of honesty or whatever you declare, which is where it's, it's the truth and the whole truth, but it's also the truth according to what you know best on that day. So it's a different... You, you, you're not expecting a perjury charge after a royal commission. Mm, yeah. So he knew he could just kind of, but I mean, he's not the best on the stand, but yeah. But he just threw right, it out so, there. And I've got a feeling potentially he didn't think it was going to be challenged or investigated right. any further. Yeah. And any more than those trial, minutes were, we were ever going to see the light of day that they were going to be what? Up on an internet for anyone to access from a government file. So, yeah, so then what, we cut to another nine years later, eight years later, and years they go, later. okay, tell us about this guy called Graham, and uh, 
what happened at you know that during his trial during brian's trial yeah tell us all about that um that meeting then and i I just i just want to contrast what happened as well like we had two detectives investigating this they were they were able to come up with a check in may 1999 of two thousand dollars they're able to come up with a check of six thousand dollars in the year 2000 hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P. And they could not find any meeting or any document relating to Malison's at all. It was, that was like, like the needle in the haystack would be finding those checks. You'd think something like, we're trying to find this, these Malison documents or evidence of the Malison meeting, not, not there. And Malison's is not a firm to lose their files. Mm-hmm, uh, exactly. It's just not a possibility. I think they did find a Graham that worked for Malison's once. Yes. But, but they found a needle. They found they found the checks you'd think the Mellison document would be so much more easier to find well this was a document wasn't it about how to manage a payment to brett or something what was that that the legal meeting supposed to be about i mean that's what they went through the contract remember this contract it it was almost a written up contract uh for something like for someone like brett to sign Because there was no record of that. No one had a copy of that Mm. either. The nature of the document was in question as well. Like, what was Mm. it? (laughs) Nam didn't have one. Brian didn't have one. And it it conveniently went missing, leading up to having Frank Houston handed over to Brett Sandstock to sign. Now, I wonder what relation, just by, by the way, I wonder what relation that lawyer is to... We'd had legal advice and we knew that my father would be incarcerated if he were charged. So I would like to make that point number three from the prosecution. He was actually calling, like I said, Brian Houston dishonest. He actually called Brian Houston dishonest in relation to that Malison's document. He actually said Brian Houston's made it up. That meeting never happened. I, so that, that was a big claim to make by the prosecution oh, in his closing argument. Obvious. I mean, you know hilariously obvious but i mean it does lead one to wonder what else he might make up well perfect my from my personal experience i've seen um hillsong huff puff and bluff in the past um when when it's come to its own members or other ministries as well whether they be online or local incredible and they get away with it they must be so used to getting away with yeah yeah Yeah. i've done it don't worry about it yep we we got legal advice all good it, it could have potentially been something there's a, a huff and puff and bluff scenario and this time they're going well we're trying to find evidence yeah so i'm prepared to say on that because i don't want to talk about <laughs> anything else on that <laughs> like no that. that's all right you're right what's next okay so what's next so i just pointed out that the prosecution was looked at the audio looking at his motivation how he was wanting to protect the church and then having a go at his uh, honesty in question by his honesty and that was to do with the thorn and the Thornals meeting as i just said now the malison's document he also made the point as well george agajanian they said that when he was asking george agajanian to understand what was the motivation for not reporting it to police george agajanian repeatedly stated oh because the man was of age he was 37 he could have gone to the police himself he was of age he could have gone to the police himself at not any point in George Edgar Jennings' testimony, did he say, oh, we didn't go to the police because the victim didn't want us to go to police. Uh-huh. And so I didn't understand the strategy of why the prosecution was really focusing on his testimony because he was making the point that at any time, George Edgar could have said, we didn't go to the police because the victim told us not to go to the police. 
Mm. Mm. It was never there in his testimony. And he was really con contrasting George Agajanian's testimony to Brian Houston. Brian Houston going, I oh, didn't go to police because they didn't, didn't, I didn't want to go to police. George mm -hmm. Agajanian was convinced mm -hmm. that they didn't go to police because he was of age to go to the police. So that was, to me, a big piece in favour of his argument. Now I understood the strategy as to why he was doing what he was doing. That was a very compelling piece of evidence. And that was from George Agajanian, Brian Houston's right-hand man. And, that, that was and business manager and yeah. he's more he's much more savvy and and, and as brian houston said would know the and, right words to choose and as brian houston actually said when he took the stand december george agajanian was very big on legal this and legal that he actually had a go at george agajanian for being incredibly stressed about little legalities and he, and he was kind of belittling him on the stand i'm thinking for someone who has potentially more of a legal mind than Brian Houston, it would be weird that he wouldn't actually be adamant if he heard that the victim didn't want to go to police or if he, if he was privileged to that. That's interesting. Okay. You know I, mean? I just found that the prosecution could have drawn Very that out of this. But I think, as we all know, the judge will be reading both sides. We weren't, we weren't privileged to hear the entire arguments. They were just giving the key points. So that's possibly going to be emerging. Um, and what the judge will be reading those little details so yeah the prosecution really did a fantastic job oh you know so confident in his clarity i think mm. and another very persuasive piece as well is that even if brian didn't report it to police at, at the respect or or, or to honor the victim's request he made a comment um, when the second victim came forward in, in the year 2000 how in the minutes of that special elders meeting um, with the hillsong elders now that you know that there's other ones like there was no incumbency there was no feeling that maybe now we need to report not just these other victims from new zealand but also brett and actually name him and talk about the, the payments that happened between frank and the victim and he would point out that this was not recorded in the minutes of the hillsong elders meeting a special elders meeting so i thought that wasn't like now that you know that it's there's other victims why wasn't yep. there discussion about yep. brett in that meeting yep. going well now that there's other victims victims involved we can now we probably have to report it now we might need to contact brett we might need to get to go what actually happened with that exchange of money and the, he was talking around that specific thing as well and i thought valid again valid again so that, that there are my five points that i took away from the prosecution's argument okay. that, that were very compelling we're up to five already okay one with the audio to talk about him protecting this church motivation thorne meeting he was, he was pointing out his weak, his character. Being mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, George Agajanian, contrast and testimony to Brian of why they didn't go to police. Allison's document, dishonest character, accusing him of ever having that meeting. And the fact that why wasn't he talking about Brett Sandstock to um, victims? That's five. But I thought that was pretty. Yeah, that's, it, yeah I just didn't realize that to five already. There's so many different ways of looking at this and so many sort of things that come out to me that you mm -hmm. say out of each kind of angle there's more angles and then there's more like kind of but what about it's i guess that's that's what some of the concern is once you start talking about things like different motivations which are reasons or are they excuses and if they're reasonable reasons are they reasonable excuses about that it makes it kind of if it weakens the legislation or strengthens it but it certainly made it more complex seems like there's a lot more ways of getting around it now do you want to talk about the defense or you still want to talk about on um, the prosecution no sure whatever there's no. a confusing timeline we need to address i think in the middle please, of this please okay so give us um, what you got the prosecution gave us a pretty solid timeline um, of events but an area that was not really understood well in this argument was like when did the victim not want to report this to police and when did the victim want to report this to police and i think the defense really capitalized on that because his argument was that the victim was adamant not to go to police and that's brian houston's claim as well the victim did not want to go to police but when you look at the timeline in 1999 specifically yes brett did not want to go to police because he didn't feel like he was going to be believed barbara taylor didn't feel like she was going to be believed but when hang on, it, hang it, on. where does it say that brett did not want to go to police in um th that was in the writings of barbara taylor 
Ah, did she say doesn't want to go to the police, well, the well, secular she, court? She, she, um, she was saying that I will not take this to the police with you, but then started speaking. Oh, actually, secular courts. Secular, secular court. Sorry, secular court. Secular court. Dang, sorry. Thank you. For no, and that. that's and I mean again. For me, like, and this is just my interpretation. So, court is a different thing to police as well. So, you know, you you might even consider going to police, but not wanting to then proceed to court. I don't know. But the problem, the, the was, issue was the motivation was was for him not to be proactive in holding Frank Houston accountable uh, uh, at uh, all. Because ah, uh, 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 yeah, but it didn't feel like he would be believed. It was his word against law and Frank. and their policy. You know, was he not supposed to be offered, did you want to proceed to the police? I'm sure that was in their policy that they had ratified in the May. You remember the policy manual that wasn't at the meeting? Yes, you're right. Yes, in 1999, December. Yeah. Oh, no, you're right. Sorry, yeah. There was a policy manual that they had ratified in 99 in May, had they not? And like six months before the meeting that dealt with this, that said if a complainant came forward... They were to be offered the opportunity to go to the police. Yes. So am I? We'll go over it at some point. Because that's the whole thing. They didn't follow their own policy. Yes, they did not follow their own policy. You're right about that. I'm just pointing this out that Barbara Taylor didn't feel like she was getting anywhere with John McMartin back in the middle of 1999. The victim, Brett was feeling deflated. He didn't feel like he was going to be believed. Because um, I think there was a discussion about going to courts or having looking into it but he just didn't feel like he was going to believe he just wanted it to be dropped completely even though you know barbara taylor was trying to push this entire thing uphill so when kevin mudford contacted bill johnson and John johnson contacted agajanian and agajanian said to uh, brian it's about your father that's when things started to change when brian got that confession and barbara taylor realized that frank had confessed to brian she told brett and you can see in the correspondence in, in around about November, her documenting this and communicating to Brian Houston, I've noticed a change in Brett Sandstock's behavior. He has softened. He now feels he's believed. And now he wants me to tell you that he's now thinking of going and seeking legal. Just to clarify that very quickly, once again, because it's, you know, this whole snakes and ladders of these snakes. John McMartin was the state president. I think he was the next in the chain of command for Barbara Taylor, who also was Brett's aunt. You know, so when she's applying pressure, it's family pressure as well. His mother had already yeah, warned him off it in the strongest possible terms. You know, you don't want to send people to hell by making this public and turning people away from the faith. I don't think you can put any stronger pressure on somebody yeah. not to go to the police their whole life to take it to the secular courts. Brian gave evidence that he thought secular courts were civil courts because it's always about the money. Uh, so that was another kind of defence yeah. he was and, using. And another thing as well is that Brian knew that Barbara Taylor wasn't didn't want to go to police. He knew that she wanted to keep it in-house. Yeah. Brian Houston knew Brett Sandstock's mother and that Suited Brett well. absolutely loved Frank and Brian. So he, all the tips were in his favour, just saying. It's the entire culture, and that's something that you remember we were so frustrated with when the defence lawyer, Philip Bolton, was arguing that, you know, yes, Brian might have called it a serious moral failure, but so what? He hadn't named exactly what it was, but he did at a different time, and these people over here knew, and some people knew, and people talk. He said people talk over the over coffee afterwards. You know that. What did he say? They might they might do it in harsh tones, but you know word gets around, which is you know culture of silence that even you and I have witnessed when yes. you know big yes. events happen. People are shut down immediately. It's money of business. It's between them and God. The whole thing. I think Jeff Bullock's a good example of that. Yeah. There's many examples, and people are just get there's some kind of negative innuendo placed over their head, and then they're not to be talked about at all. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit frustrating when that culture isn't understood about whether somebody wants to go and involve courts when they've 
involved in such an extreme religious group, basically. Yeah, there's um there's a case on I was reading this morning of uh, some really small religious group and they withheld diabetic medication from an eight-year-old girl. She died. They were praying instead and expecting oh. healing. It's a you know, very small group. Now, there's 14 people being held in custody over that. They've all refused legal representation and none of them have even applied for bail, even though it's only two charged with bail. So you can see the whole faith thing yep. and the connection with the reality of legal stuff. You know, it's a kind of, I know that's an extreme example, but it's the same sort of God will fix it. There's a real primitive fallibility in it, which is really sad, which is not what the Christian faith's about at all. But they, they kind of just combine, yeah. Yeah, with their own kind of hope. And it's a very yeah. extreme kind of everything's going to be okay hmm. thing. Or, oh yeah, I'm the leader of the free world, nothing can go wrong. So in November, from my understanding, this was the time that Brett and Brian somehow communicated. I'm having difficulty picking a date, but the Crown seems to be pretty sure what that date was or in their arguments. But within that discourse, it seems that's where Brian got the idea that the victim didn't want to go to police. And to me, I'm pinning it around in, in late November because this was a letter from Barbara Taylor. I just want to read it out so you can see exactly both what Bolton and also the prosecution were focusing on because they were both coming into this letter exactly because it was such a, a powerful testament as to what Brett Sandstock was feeling at that time when Frank confessed. 29th of November 1999, dear Brian, I was overwhelmed on Saturday as I realised the beginning of steps you have taken to not only do right but to be seen to be doing right concerning the incident that occurred 30 years ago with AHA and your father. My prayers have been for you and your family as both a son, a father, and a leader of leaders. I spoke to um, Brett's mother on my return on Friday, and she also was feeling very much for you and your father as well as AHA. AHA is Brett Sensor. I think for me it has been a time of mourning. When I rang AHA on Saturday morning and told him that your father had confessed and was being stood down, he was so very, very soft. He said he was in absolute shock that your dad had actually not denied the incident. I think the dodging of the issue was causing the anger to accentuate. There was a complete change in attitude. I advised him to see you for ministry. He wanted to know if I had told you, that's his Brian, he was thinking of legal proceedings. I said, of course, that you know everything that is to know to this point. Can you see why that's the important bit here? Wow. Yep. So the prosecution is going, obviously, you knew he wanted to go to the police and there's some legal proceedings and you decided to go start seeking legal advice too. At the same time, you got Bolton somewhere in this potentially talking about Brian Houston now engaging the victim going, well, I knew that the victim didn't want to go to police and I honoured that decision. It's this document that I think... Is that the end of that letter? Uh, no, they were reading at the scripts at the bottom. I'll keep going. I said, of course, that you know everything there is to know to this point. Should the Holy Spirit prompt you to contact him, Stock, his address and telephone number is dot, dot, dot. At times like this, I remember that on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. I am reminding myself that God is the same today as last week and will be the same tomorrow. There is no panic in heaven, only glorious plans for the future. How he does his work without clay feet, I will never understand until I see him face to face. Now, that's the end, but she has got in scripts mm. key dates. This is the 31st of November. Before I wow. said this, I heard from Brett's mother that Brett was trying to contact Brian. And I highlighted this, and the prosecution pointed this out, saying it was around this time that the Thornley McDonald's meeting had already happened because Brett was making the comment that he was trying to contact Brian Houston regarding the money because he didn't get it. Right. And so that's why the Crown was saying at this point, when you look at this letter, obviously the Thornley McDonald's meeting happened before in November because okay. he was trying to get the money because he didn't, Frank didn't give it to him. So he was trying to contact okay. Brian so, to get the money. So by the time they have that Qantas meeting, Brian knows what to say mm. because the money's been paid. Uh, call the boys together, wind the year up and tell yep. them, don't worry about it. We've had legal advice. We've spoken to the victim. Happy New Year. 
<laughs> well, actually, it's worse than that because it's like now that the victim's been dealt with, the victim's going away. Yeah. He's now, he's now Frank's happy. Uh, so Frank is leaving the victim alone. He's potentially leaving his son alone. And Barbara Taylor, well, this needs to be done. Well, we're going to hold an AIG executive meeting to make sure that this is dealt with. And after that meeting, nothing happened. And Barbara Taylor felt like she was sidelined. And in that meeting, in that AIG executive meeting as well, the prosecution was very big and major on the fact that he failed to mention the payment of money. He failed to mention Barbara Taylor's presence at all. And that's where I'm still going, wow, okay, yeah. Because you've been a you've been a genius in putting this together all these years, Jake. You've been an absolute genius. So we've got the money's been paid, the napkin's been signed. There's Barbara been a, out of the picture. I'm not even going to mention her to the AOG executive. And then focus the AOG executive meeting, which was appropriate because that's their function. Throw a meeting before Christmas because you can't stand it any longer, I guess, and get Frank's credentials removed, which really does deflect from a lot of things, which is demonstrated in the minutes that mm. they were very Frank-focused. So, yeah. But what was interesting as well is that they concluded that Brian Houston was going to be alerting Frank to the outcome of this meeting and he was going to be alerting the victim of the outcome of this meeting. And he didn't do any of those things. What's interesting is that you know they had no clue about Barbara Taylor because she was trying to meet up with Frank. She was trying to get the victim solace, peace, justice, or comfort. So she would have been the perfect one to for them to report to to ensure that uh, Brett Sandstock got closure. But they didn't know. Yeah, you can see in that correspondence. Um, Barbara's a pretty strong lady, but she's also somewhat naive to all of this. And as as we all... She felt she was being cut off. Yeah, but she's also, you know, talking to Brian as if he's, I guess, a lot more receptive. She had presumed he'd be a lot more receptive and responsive yeah, than he was. she admits she was naive in hindsight. Yeah. It's, it is a fascinating case. It was a fascinating case to watch. I, yeah. I want to talk about Bolton because I think so that's what I find interesting with Bolton. I had difficulty trying to pin down exactly where in his story or narrative or date this discussion Brian had with Brett Senstock to honor Brett Senstock's request to not go to the police. So to understand what Bolton was arguing, he was saying that he was doing his best to honor Brett's decision. So I'm, I'm personally having difficulty being thorough through the timeline and the calendar of events mm. how this entire narrative fits but he did make the claim that in spite of if brian handled this anything outside of that decision uh, rightly or wrongly did he honor brett stanstock's wishes believing that if he did not want to go to police he did not have to go to police that's where i was a bit emotional towards the end of this argument because i'm thinking this is now just a legal technicality or issue and is that enough for Brian Houston to get off? So he was quite compelling in his, in, in trying to capture the existential crisis of Brian Houston. Mm, mm. And I think we, we both felt that a bit going, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can kind of pick apart the things that make up the other person's argument, which mm. is what he was doing, uh, sort of find their loose <clears throat> threats, as it were. Uh, Rabble, yeah. yeah. I can imagine Bolton going, there's so much evidence that's come out of this World Commission, we're going to have to argue this on a technicality. Uh, <laughs> that's how it came across to me personally. Well, again, maybe it's, you know, looking at the legislation and mm -hmm. if a reasonable excuse is that you believe the person doesn't want to, then they're going to have to look at every word in that statement. Yeah. Potentially. <laughs> uh, who knew? Mm. who knew so, so um yeah yeah lots of lessons to be learned for other people as well and other organizations mm. i think this is it, you know it might be taking place in a local court and you know there may but but yeah i think it's going to have some big ramifications for how it's dealt with look at you smiley face i know i think we did the right job and i think we can wind up you can end it see you on the 17th of august See you on the 17th of August, Daniel. Lovely working Bye. with you.
that should have made things clear as mud. Is everybody uh, up to speed now on how the Australian system works or, or, yeah, have had a couple of people outside of our fair land ask why the delays? And look, it's a question, it's one of the questions we ask every day in this country, why do we have to wait? Essentially, there was, yeah, COVID backlog. Uh, I understand that, yeah, Americans move things really quickly and, you know, you would have had a verdict the next day, but yeah, we've just got to wait for everybody to um, find a time, convenient time. Thank you so much for sticking around and, you know, making the best out of a bad lot, I guess. We had some news this week. So first of all, last pod, I talked about somewhere, you know, my cynical self about how often we seem to see convictions in Australia overturned, especially for high profile people, uh, most notably George Pell, who was the, you know, the third highest Catholic in the world. He was convicted of an actual sex offence, but it was overturned in a higher court and it and it can really put a lot of us off and make us a bit you know disappointed so i had mentioned that and our leaving hill song legal consultant nick got in contact with me and said i'm listening to the latest pod and i have some thoughts about the discussion of appeals and juries from a legal perspective it is incredibly difficult to overturn a conviction. You need to find a legal error that is so serious that it's enough to cause doubt about the conviction. Appeals are never based on judges deciding that the jury made the wrong decision. There is a huge deference given to the judge and jury who sat through the trial and heard all the evidence. One of the fundamental legal principles of appeals is that they won't hear arguments about the facts of the case. You can only make arguments about legal errors. There are cases when legal errors were made, but the appeal court said it wasn't enough to overturn the conviction. The difficulties of undoing a conviction are apparent in miscarriage of justice cases, like the recent pardon of Kathleen Folbig. And if you don't know about Kathleen Folbig, go look that one up, F-O-L-B-I-G-G. Kathleen with a K. There was never any evidence that showed that she killed her children. A lot of good lawyers, that our Nick knows, have always had concerns that she wasn't guilty based on the case against her. It took multiple appeals and two inquiries over 20 years to finally get to the place where it is accepted that she didn't kill her children. Lindy Chamberlain was on her third appeal to the High Court when the case against her fell apart and her conviction was quashed. A big part of the problem is that appeals are always made on technical legal grounds. So non-lawyers <clears throat> don't understand the full reasons why. And then right after that, John McMartin, who has been a pastor in the Australian Christian churches, this whole circus for 40 years, who had been convicted of indecent assault, had that conviction overturned and, and uh, quashed. So... And that was based on a range of reasons from what we read. The appeals judge didn't like the credibility of the witness. I mean, there were a number of things. And it's just, it's just hard. And you, you kind of think of all the people that put the work in and say, like with Brian's case, there were seven, eight years worth of detective work and just incredible stuff. And then, and then what? So I guess we'll see. It's... Uh, Maybe a coincidence that John McMartin was actually the person that Barbara Taylor contacted next. Don't know. Thank you so much for spending time talking with us today. Been great to have your company. Please keep the support up. Send me those messages, stories, jokes. I'm here for the memes. You are fantastic. Please be kind to yourself this week. Be extra nice to yourself. Why not? Be kind to the people around you. And we'll talk really soon. Bye.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.